are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on foxsports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7000. You're on the line with Lance Daw and Jacob Hillman on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Happy Tuesday, everybody. About four weeks out from college football season. Can't wait for that to get started. Jacob, how's your Tuesday going? It's going well. Ready to head on back to Birmingham, visit the family, but it's, it's been a fun summer in Auburn, so... Spend a week back in Birmingham, then get back down to Auburn for the fall. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Absolutely. A little bit better weather today. It's right. about 84 degrees outside. Not incredibly hot. And I was sitting in, in one of our other studios earlier. I was writing an article about grading the Alabama State Hornets. It's going to go out on Auburn Wire later today. And all I could think was like, man... I'm just so ready for college football to be back. I'm so ready for this fall weather to kind of be back. And I know we're, we're quite some time away from it, but, man, I'm ready for that weather uh, to, be, to be back. Yeah, I was going to say that that Alabama State game week two might not be <laughs> very <laughs> fall weather-like. 11 a.m., it's going to be a little warm. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a little warm, especially uh, in the second half. want to get to, uh, to, some, to some Madden news. So Madden 22 ratings are out and we just kind of want to go over some of the uh, the player ratings for Auburn really quick. We'll have Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer joining us in just a few minutes. But want to go over some of these player ratings real quick. Uh, just kind of want to go over some of the guys that might have might surprise some people, uh, and just just go over some of the numbers there. So Cam Newton sitting at a 76 overall. Derek Brown sitting at a 79 overall. Carlton Davis 83 overall. Jamel Dean. 80 overall. Carl Lawson is an 83 overall. Noah Igbenogany, a 72 overall. Kind of surprising there uh, that Igbenogany was uh, rated so lowly. Carrion Johnson, 75 overall. Darius Slayton, 80 overall. Anthony Schwartz, even, I believe he's got 94 speed. I believe Madden rated him like 90, he gave him like 94 speed, but he's a 67 overall. Really surprising stuff there. Jamie and Sherwood, uh, sitting at a 67 overall, and uh, uh, Seth Williams sitting at a 65 overall. Uh, Jacob, any of those numbers stand out to you? Carl Lawson an 83 overall with the Jets. Yeah, I think it's interesting because a lot of these young guys are who stand out to me. You know, you got Carl Lawson's not that young, but he's at an 83 overall, and then you've got Jamel Dean, Carlton Davis after their Super Bowl season, 83 and 80 overall course Derek Brown his rookie year 79 overall but I think the biggest thing that stands out to me is Noah Ibanagani thought maybe he'd be a little bit higher than 72 overall after a decent rookie season but overall I think everybody is about where they should be and they'll have their chance to prove themselves this season. KJ Britt sitting at a 63 overall Braden Smith 84 D Ford who I completely forgot existed until just now 82 overall Cody Parkey 72, Carlson 73, Uzama 72, and Marlon Davidson 68. 
I don't necessarily think that there are a whole lot of surprises there. I mean, every, I think everybody's just kind of kind of even keel where they need to be. I agree with you. I think Igbenogany sitting at 72 may be a little low for, for his uh, really good rookie season. But uh, we are now joined by Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer. Justin, how's your Tuesday going? Oh, I've been running all over the place. Sorry, I'm a little late. You're good, But... Happy to be here with you guys. What's Absolutely. going on? What are we talking about? Talking about some of the Madden ratings that came out ah. for Auburn over the past day or so. Cam Newton at a 76 overall. Brown, 79. Carlton Davis, 83. Have you been? Have, have you actually taken a look at some of the ratings yet? Uh, not yet, but I'm going to pull them up right now. Um, so the Derek at 79 is like, it's one of those things for some reason, since we're obsessed with round numbers, it's like when it, it's like, oh, 80, that makes sense. Now I hear 79. I'm like, that's underrated. Like he's, yeah. he's, he's, right. yeah. If he would have been, if he would have been, uh, if he would have been a, a, an 80 out of him and like, okay, that's, that, that's completely fine. But yeah, I'm interested to see. Just kind of like how far he can kind of move up because he had such an awesome rookie season. Right. Back in the day, I believe what they used to do is they used to have bronze, silver, gold, elite, and uh, they moved elite from 85 down to 80. Mm-hmm. So if you're an 80 overall or higher, you're an elite. And so his base card will be a 79, just on the edge of being elite, but he'll be a gold card. I think that's kind of funny there. I just kind of wanted to briefly go over them. Carl Lawson sitting at an 83 overall again. I think everybody's just kind of where they need to be. I think every yeah. every, every number's pretty fair. I'm seeing the Carlton at 83, uh, Jamel at 80. That's, that's really good to have both those guys get that bump from the Super Bowl run. I just kind of wanted to go over that to kick off the show. Just, just every, every, anybody out there that really cares about Madden. Do we think Carlson might be a little underrated? I feel like the way he kicked last year, maybe I'll, I don't know what the other kickers are rated. So that's kind of probably where I'm misunderstanding because I don't know who the, what the highest rated kicker is, but I feel like Carlson probably should be higher than a 73. Yeah, Parkey at 72, Carlson at 73. Yeah, I would agree with you. I would say like maybe 75, 76 would be fair for mm-hmm. him. I think uh, I think all of them are, are rated pretty fairly, though, pretty fairly. I just wanted to kick off the show with that. But moving on, I wanted to get Justin's thoughts on Miles Brennan. Mm, having yeah. his that that really really tough injury you know I said a few months ago I was like I think Max Johnson's gonna win the starting job but apparently it it it, it took an injury to kind of get to yeah. that point and now they've only got two quarterbacks on the roster how does this change the trajectory of LSU season yeah it's wild because first of all like Miles M- Brennan has like this like he's had like this cursed career at LSU it's like doesn't seem to like anything like he'd get hurt or something nothing would ever kind of <laughs> get going for him so that that's that's really rough. I you know Max Johnson last season was very impressive towards the end of the year. My whole thing with LSU is they're trying to run it back and try to replicate 2019. Mm-hmm. And when you change both of your coordinators in one offseason but keep your head coach, that's usually a red flag. Also, the second thing is is that I think wanting to run the Joe Brady offense makes a ton of sense. They're going to run a ton of five man protection. Their wide receivers might not be what they were that national title year, and also. Max Johnson could be really good. Miles Brennan could be really good. They're not Joe Burrow. Like Joe Burrow, especially with the way he was that year as a grad transfer, taking all these online classes, tra- training so hard in the you know by himself, he was basically like he was already an NFL quarterback. And I don't, I think that kind of gets overlooked when you look at uh, look at LSU. So my thing on LSU this year is like with Max Johnson, I think he could definitely be like you said, makes sense that he's going to end up being the starter, um, but. Like, to me, LSU is one of those. They're either going to be really good or it could get really ugly. And, like, off-season injury like this is never a good sign. That doesn't doesn't forebode very, very well. Did you get the opportunity? I know you were there at SEC Media Days. Did right. you get the, uh, the opportunity to actually vote in the poll? Where did you have LSU? I had LSU, if I remember correctly. I had LSU. Da, 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 
Um, I believe I had them at fourth in the in the West. Okay. Um, you know, I I, I like A and M. I like Ole Miss. It's just that that was one of those kind of tough things to to, to kind of go back and forth with because I think as soon as I say LSU is going to have a bad year. They've got so much talent that they can put it all together. Not having Bo Pelini is going to be a, a, a help on the defensive side of the ball. But, um, yeah, I mean, they, they just seem so combustible this season. Like, this is either going to go really well or really poorly for them. Well, yeah, and that's my thought is that all it takes is for Max Johnson to go down with an injury and things oh, are going to go haywire. Really I mean, because yeah. I, mean, I feel like just part of this is the whole Ed Orgeron, it, this feels like this is the beginning of the end if that hadn't already happened because – we're already talking about him being on the hot seat, even if they go eight and four, nine and three, or whatever. And I feel like if the if Max Johnson does go down, that's kind of the end of it because his roster management is proven to be not so great since they can't even go get someone else. And yeah, I mean, and you think about it this way: the, the guy that would be another option for him is here, right? And so, like, yeah, now with Brennan down, like, if anything happens to Max Johnson, who is not. A super proven commodity. I mean, he played well at the end of the year, but like if things go haywire at quarterback for them, it could get really ugly because they don't have they don't have anything behind them that 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 is proven at least a little bit to try to take advantage of what needs to be a, a bounce back year for LSU. Initially, this or early on this off season, I really was not high on LSU last year. I, I actually I, I said that they would go five and five, like a lot of different a lot of people did. Sure enough, that happened this year. Coming into the off season, I'm still like really not high on Ed Ogeron. But like you said, the moment that I say LSU is going to have a bad yep. season, they have so much talent. They got rid of the coordinators that held them back. Can they possibly make a jump back to maybe third or second in the West? So my it, it, media poll, and maybe this was an overreaction to my my overreaction in the spring. I had them at second. Yeah. Because I was like, uh, well, there, there's so much going on in the middle of the pack in the SEC right, right now. There's so much up in the air. You look at all the talent that LSU has. You look at all the production that they have coming back. If these, if this, if Durante Jones can just figure it out and they can be healthy at the quarterback position, obviously that's an issue right yeah. now. But if they can just figure it out on the defensive backfield, I think they're going to be just fine. But now that Miles Brennan is out, if he was the front runner – I do have some questions about whether or not this team could maybe get past uh, an Auburn, yeah, potentially, an yeah. Alabama, just a, a Texas A&M, Ole Miss, just different teams in the middle of the pack right there with them. Uh, definitely raises some questions for me. Justin, you put out an article yesterday mm-hmm. talking about some of the players that you are intently watching yep. in fall camp. Really, really good stuff going on the Auburn Thank Observer you. right now. You are killing it. Thanks, man. I do want to start off talking about – I want to talk about some of these guys on your list, but I do want to start it off with a hot-button issue among Auburn fans. Brandon Frazier, Tyler Fromm, the tight end yeah. position. Talk to me about some of the <clears> pass <throat> catchers in that unit and who you think is potentially going to be – emerging at the top and then also some guys to watch that are in the wings right now. yeah I, I think the thing there with with the tight ends is that you have John Samuel Shanker and he has a lot of experience and you can lean on that right Luke Deal is a really good blocker he'll play some of that fullback role he had a pretty good spring but I'm very interested in Fromm and Frazier because in terms of upside at the as a receipt as receiving tight ends they've got it Brandon Frazier's six seven. You can't teach anyone how to be six foot seven, right? right? And so he's got he's got those vertical abilities that I think is gonna be really good to see. And then Todd Fromm, I think, coming out of high school was the most kind of polished receiving uh, prospect. He reminded me a lot of CJ Uzama coming out of high school, the type of uh, uh, kind of route runner and, and tight end he is. This offense is going to use a lot more tight ends. We're going to see 
one, two tight ends on the field. We're going to see one tight end on the field almost pretty much every play. But also, I think with so much inexperience at wide receiver, they're going to have to lean on some of these tight ends because they just have a little bit more experience um, at the college level. And I really I really am curious to see how they utilize Frazier, if he's going to be more of like a specific situational kind of dude or if he's a guy that can, they feel like is ready to roll and be an every-down type of tight end. I think Fromm's more in that wheelhouse right now. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, everything I've heard about both of those guys over the summer is that they are going to be involved in what they want to do. Um, and like I said, Deal probably more of the full-back blocking tight end vibe, even though he, he can ra- be a pretty good route runner. And then on top of that is this, like, I'm interested to see if, uh, if a guy like Landon King – with the red shirt rule the way it is, can he get it? Can he take advantage of some opportunities? Um, I think physically he's got a lot with what you want at the tight end spot. So very curious to see. It's a really good group, uh, and you're finally in an offense that's going to take advantage of it because uh, Boise State under Brian Harson every year, every full year they played, not counting last year, uh, under Brian Harson had had uh, two tight ends a year catch ten balls or more in a season. Uh, that has not happened at Auburn uh, since CJ Uzama. One, just one guy. So, you know, it's, it's going to be a completely different story at the position. Well, you mentioned the inexperience at wide receiver. Right. Do you think there's a tight end that can kind of go out there like an Eric Gilbert and yeah. go catch passes? I mean, I look, I look at Landon King 6'5", 214. Mm-hmm. You mentioned maybe getting him in just four games, but do you think he could possibly yeah. elevate his game to go do Eric Gilbert and, stuff? And I think Frazier could be that kind of guy as well. Mm-hmm. Big slot, um, spread him out wide. He probably you know, he wants to be a tight end, and, and they're going to use him like a tight end. Um, but he's got some, he's got some ability where you're like you know how Auburn he ended up just being a wide receiver at Auburn, but you know how like Sal Canella would play at Auburn where it's like you can line him up in certain spots out wide and just say hey hey buddy go up there and get it. Frazier's got some of that to him, and there's not a ton of those guys like that that you're proven with at wide receiver on the team. Like yeah, Savion Capers could be that guy, Elijah Canyon could be that guy, but um, you know it's going to be kind of like, all right, who steps up and who emerges? And I think Frazier could get involved there. I think they're going to be creative. You go back and watch some Boise State film and, and Colorado State film with Mike Bobo, they move around that tight end a, a, a lot. It's not just kind of like we were saying with Eric Gilbert. Uh, uh, I think Kyle Pitts is another great example yeah. of that, where it's just like just because you're a tight end, you were not putting your hand in the dirt on every single play. And sometimes that means lining up in the slot, and sometimes that even means you know going out, out on the boundary and, and, and kind of beating somebody up at corner yourself. You talked about three offensive linemen in your article. Talked yeah. about Brandon Council, Brendan Coffey, and Killian, uh, Killian Zaire. But I want to specifically talk about this left tackle spot because I've, t- I've said this so many times on the show, and I said this two or three times yesterday. I still have nightmares about that Georgia game and yeah. how badly that offensive line performed, specifically oh, yeah. Alec Jackson and how he handled uh, guys coming at him. Who is going to step up at left tackle for Auburn? Yeah, the the the, the safe bet is is one of either Alec Jackson or, or Austin Troxel, whoever performs the best in, in fall camp. I don't want to live in a world where Alec Jackson is starting at left tackle. It, I need somebody else there. It, it, it's it's one of those things where like he he struggled in pass protection last season, and you have to you have to get better at that. And like there are some things about Alec Jackson's game that are really good on the offensive line. It's just when your pass protection, it, it, when you are clearly having that that many issues in pass protection, it, it, it changes the whole thing for your offensive line. So this is where Zaire comes in, and this is where a potentially a, Brent, uh, a Brennan Coffey can come in. Those tackles, like I think there's some movement that can be happening in there, but why Brandon Council is such the X factor is that if he gets back to 100% and he knocks the rust off and he's ready to go by the start of the season, he can play anywhere. 
And then you can start moving things around where it's like, well, maybe this guy's better at guard or maybe this guy's better on this side of the line. And so I, I think I think Trox has a good opportunity in front of him. I think Alec Jackson, just because of his experience, is going to be a dude that we're going to hear about a lot. But, like, Zyre, he was recruited for a reason by the last staff. They needed tackles. And he was the number one Juco player, uh, Juco offensive tackle in the country when he signed. Uh, he has been playing left tackle. And the fact that he's gotten through an offseason so far without getting hurt and it's been a normal offseason, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they throw him in the fire a little bit in fall camp and let him compete. And if he ends up being the best man, so be it. Quick question to you before we head to break. Two sure. freshmen, Garner Langlow and then uh, Colby Smith, two offensive tackles. Mm-hmm. Auburn's website has Colby Smith listed at 6'8". 24-7 yeah. Sports has him listed at 6'7", regardless. Huge offensive Monster. tackle. Do you see either of those guys at any point, especially early in the season, getting in the rotation for Auburn? You might see those guys kind of play a little bit like if it's a blowout, but your freshman on your offensive line in the SEC, unless they're Jonah Williams, you're not playing them and you're not starting them. So, like, it's better to redshirt those guys, let them develop. It, it takes up more time on the offensive line. But, yeah, Colby Smith is, like, one of those guys where it's, you know, he was a big-time pickup for Auburn, the fact that he was he was an offensive tackle and that he was as big as he is. Um, if he can develop under this staff, which I think he can, he could be a good guy in line. Just the problem with the offensive line and the problem with what Auburn kind of is in general right now is you need to get a lot better on the offensive line, but that takes time. That is not a one-year fix unless you just go in and just rack up in the, in the transfer portal, and that's hard to do because every time any good offensive lineman hits the portal – Everyone in America wants them because they're such rare commodities. Right, right. On the other side of this break, we we did this on yesterday's show. We did some SEC honor roll awards, but I want to go through it with Justin and get his thoughts on some of the best in the SEC. We'll do that on the other side of this break. Back on the line, Jacob Hillman, Lance Daw, Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer in with us today. We did this again. We teased this coming into the break. We did this on yesterday's show. Some SEC Honor Roll Awards. And I just kind of wanted to get Justin's thoughts Mm -hmm. on some of these different awards. I wanted to start off with an award that uh, with uh, Jacob and I couldn't quite pinpoint a certain player for. Coolest in the clutch, and that's for quarterbacks. Mm. There's not a lot of quarterback production returning in the SEC, obviously. We couldn't pinpoint a specific guy that we could say, is definitively the coolest in the clutch in the SEC. Do you have a guy that comes to mind? Because with Bo Nix, it's like he had his good moments, obviously, mm-hmm. Oregon, and then he's had his bad moments where he couldn't finish a drive. Right. South Carolina, Georgia in 2019. Is there another guy outside of him that stands out? You know, that that's kind of the funny thing about the SEC this year is that there's so many unproven talents, right? Um, and so, I mean, the one that kind of comes to mind a little bit to me and this is early, but Connor Basilak at, 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 at Missouri, several of their wins last season, very close. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, lot, a lot of one-possession wins. I thought he looked good. Uh, I was actually talking with somebody earlier today, and we were talking about the SEC. They were talking about Arkansas and Missouri. Who do you think step up? I like. I kind of like Missouri coming in the year like to kind of take that step forward because I really like what Basilak showed last season. And so, yeah, I mean, I can't think it just kind of shows you like how much is reloading at the group because like you could say Bo I mean like look Bo had the had the Oregon game he had the Iron Bowl there's been some moments where it hasn't done like though so I think it'll be interesting to see um but I like I like I like Basilite because for a true freshman to win several close games like that last year and and make that season a whole lot better than it probably could have been for Missouri uh is is where I like I like to land on it yeah that's who I mentioned yesterday after like Bo Nix and the JT Daniels and Matt Corral but none of them are really proven and I mean 
you look, he didn't start the first two games of the season. They lost to Alabama at 38 to 19 and then at Tennessee 35 to 12. And then after that, yeah. five and three, or I should say, I think, yeah, three, three losses. And a lot of them were close yeah. in the wins. So I kind of like that pick because I feel like he's going to really put up the stats and the numbers this year. It's going to be a matter of if he can kind of back up that mm-hmm. close wins and do it again this year. Yeah, to get thrown into the fire as a freshman and win close games like that on a team that like a lot of people did expect to be any good last season, right. I think is is pretty admirable. And and you know he shared co freshman of the year honors with Tank last season, so uh, I like him a lot. You talk about teams that that did not play well last season. Something I randomly want to want to throw out there. You talk about Missouri losing to Tennessee. Tennessee <laughs> was a top fifteen like six weeks into the season last year. We lived in a world where yeah. Tennessee was top fifteen oh, like, yeah. six weeks in wild wild stuff i just wanted to throw that out there okay moving along sec on a roll most accurate passer in the sec most accurate passer is interesting because there there's not you know uh, the aces last season are guys that are not there anymore but um matt corral is the one for me i think uh, i'm looking at it right here yeah 71 percent last season as a completion percentage only second behind mac jones i mean that's that's pretty it's pretty nasty um He's one of those guys, though, Corral, because like it could blow up at any moment with him. Like he could throw several picks, but like most of the time, he knows where to go with the ball. Uh, Lane's Lane's taught him well, and he, he he can turn it loose. Strongest arm in the SEC. Uh, who? Strongest arm is is a, is a, a little bit of a tougher one. Uh, who did y'all go with? Just to I had I'm stalling. I had here. JT Daniels. He had Matt Corral. You know what? I I, I feel like I feel like JT is a good pick here and I think he's going to showcase that this year mm-hmm. um because what what Georgia is going to want to do is they want to prove that this is different that they finally got it going and they can air it out they've you know they've got some guys that are um yeah last se- okay so here you go last season JT Daniels average his average depth of target was 12.6 which is second highest in the SEC. So I feel like that's a pretty good one to go with. Daniels was the name that popped out of my head, but I think Corral's also a good pick because, like, pure arm strength, he can sling it. Yeah. So, yeah. You go back and you watch that Mississippi State game, the first game that Daniels started, and you saw those couple of 40-ish yard touchdown passes and just kind of flick it. I, I've said this a few times on the show throughout the offseason. I think Georgia's going to stretch the field I don't want to say better than anybody in the SEC because obviously you have Alabama. They're going to be able to do that consistently regardless of who's that receiver and who's that quarterback. But they're going to be able to do that really, really well this season, in my opinion. Well, I think it's going to be much better than they've done in the last decade, probably. Sure, yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's going to be interesting to see and, Georgia And I was having that. a conversation with one of my friends, and he was bringing up um, – it was actually on the podcast I was just doing. Um, he was saying, go back and watch the Georgia-Florida game last year. Georgia had opportunities to really hit them deep, yeah. and they, it just didn't. It just didn't ever really click. Um, that's kind of what I'm, I'm gonna be keep, keeping an eye on because I think if JT Daniels is the quarterback in that game, although it, yeah. it probably is a different story. <laughs> you know, we're not talking about Florida smacking Georgia like they did. Dewan Mathis, remember remember the name, boys. Isn't he at Temple now? Yeah, probably. Like it's man, man. Between him and Stetson, star? between him and Stetson Bennett, it's just gonna be like if Georgia makes it all work this year. It's like, yeah, y'all had to struggle through a lot to get to this point. True. Yeah. yeah. Best scrambler in the SEC. Mm. We right. had we had two different answers on this. Or would you go with? I had Emory Jones. He had Bo Nix. So scrambling, I think Bo's up there. Mm-hmm. Emory Jones is a great runner, and I and I'm wondering, like, in this offense that Florida's going to try to run this year, they're going to probably use him more as the design runner. 
Bo, I've seen Bo do things where it's just like, how did he get out of that? I mentioned the Texas A&M yeah. scramble last year, the touchdown. Yeah, he, he does a lot of that. So I'm going to go with Bo in terms of pure scrambling. Now, best running quarterback, like I think Florida this year with what Dan Mullins won and do, they have to reload a receiver, obviously, but they've got some running backs coming back that they really like. Emory Jones is a, is a talented uh, quarterback, especially as a runner. Um, I think they're going to look more like what we saw Mullen run at State and kind of what he was when he was offensive coordinator. Try to hammer it a little bit with their quarterback more. So I'll be very, very curious to see what Emory does with a full season uh, of that ahead of him. Moving away from just quarterback-specific awards, toughest to bring down in the SEC. Well, you know, yeah, we, 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 we all pretty, pretty much – I think yeah, we all know – I think we answer. all got this one, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tank had, uh, had broke more tackles than any other uh, running back in college football last season. I think that, that stat kind of speaks for itself. Um, yeah, There man. you go. Yeah. <laughs> easy, That's it. Easy as that. Best That's hands it. in the SEC. Ooh. I don't know. What would y'all have? <laughs> we both had Mechie, but as it ah. turns out, you go look at SEC stat cat. Right. He, he was second worst on the team – in terms of drop drop rate yeah. yeah drop rate last season i almost went with Traylon burks but again like i'd have to go look at stat cat and see what yeah the i'm gonna try to were. pull it up right now like best hands is is gonna be interesting because there's a lot of receiver talent that's no longer in the league anymore it's similar to quarterbacks yeah very similar to quarterbacks so it's like you got to kind of step up um it it should be one of the Georgia guys, but I can't I can't speak enough in confidence to be like it's this it's Georgia guy X Y or Z here. But um, I think the way that they try uh, the vertical talent they've got there, I think could definitely uh, be it. I'm gonna I'm gonna see what kind Tremaine of Burton, Kiaris Jackson, mm-hmm. Eric Gilbert. If George Pickens somehow manages to recover from his uh, injury quickly, we may see him out there as well. They've got so many different vertical threats yeah. this season. I mean, Georgia's offense, I think, is going to be potent compared to what we've seen in years past, for sure. It's it's going to be interesting to see. Oh, 100%. I think Burks is a good pick. Burks is a good pick? Burks okay. is a good pick. He had a pretty, pretty high, high catch rate last year. Okay. All right, sweet. Best pass rusher in the SEC. Ah. We had two different answers for this as well. All right, hit me with it. I had Zachary Carter, mm-hmm. and who did you have? Will Anderson. Will Anderson from Alabama. It's hard for me to go against Will Anderson because that was the name that, that popped in my head first and foremost because an Alabama edge rusher is one of the most terrifying things on the planet when they're unleashed. And it feels like they haven't had that in some of the years past. Like the linebacker core has been just decimated with injuries or mm-hmm. anything else, but it feels like we're about to see exactly what you mentioned again. Yeah, I, I like that. I like that pick. I'm going to go with Will Anderson for sure. All right. On the other side of this break, we've got Dave Schultz, WNSP and Mobile, going to talk, kind of wrap up thoughts on SEC expansion, some playoff expansion, different things about that. Everybody's kind of tired of talking about it, so we're going to try and wrap it up with there him you go. on the other side of this break. Stick with us. Back on the line, Lance Dahl, Jacob Hillman here with you. We are now joined by a very special guest, Dave Schultz of WNSP in Mobile. Mr. Schultz, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, guys. How are you? Doing fantastic. Want to start off uh, this interview with some interesting news out of LSU. Miles Brennan out currently with an injury. How does this affect LSU, se- LSU season now with only two healthy quarterbacks on roster? Well, part of the reason uh, people thought that Max Johnson was going to be the starter because he's more mobile and he was going to run more. Well, we've seen this before when Joe Burrow was there the first year. Uh, they couldn't run him because the 
quarterbacks were all injured. Miles Brennan got it hurt, and nobody really knew about it at the time. So it's really going to limit what Max Johnson can do. they got to put him in bubble wrap. He may not get any totally live reps in practice. So, you know, it, it stunts the growth of Max Johnson because you got to make sure he's healthy because a true freshman is all they got left. Want to get your final thoughts on SEC expansion? It feels like that's all that everybody's been talking about for about two or three weeks right. now. Want to try and kind of wrap up uh, as we head into fall camp and head into the college football season, just wrap up some final thoughts on it. But first off, is this a good thing or is this a bad thing for the SEC overall? Well, I think when you add you know, two na- brand names like Texas and Oklahoma, it could only be good. right? Texas and Oklahoma are doing this because they have to. They've seen the writing on the wall uh they're getting ahead of the game uh and this all started last year and they saw where their negotiations were going and for their own tv deal and it wasn't going in the right direction meanwhile you know as great as the sec network is the big 10 actually pays out more money uh and the acc although behind the sec pays out more money than the big 12 and so they realized what the writing on the wall was and they got out while the getting is good Everybody seems to think it's going to happen by 2022. I'm a little pessimistic. I think it'll be closer to 2023, uh, but it probably everyone seems to agree that it's going to happen before 2025. And I think it's just going to help out the SEC, and it's going to become more powerful. And you know, you know what they say, guys. It just means more. Yes, sir. Absolutely. You know, everybody's been been talking about how Texas A&M really is hurt by this move in terms of recruiting. Is there a specific team in the SEC that benefits from this move? If we potentially see maybe a shift in divisions, maybe we see a move to a four-pod system, is there a team in the SEC that would specifically benefit from maybe getting out from underneath the shadows of Georgia or Alabama? Yeah, see, I think it's the other way. I, I think the LSUs and the A&M and the A&Ms are going to severely benefit from this, especially if they get out of the shadow of Alabama. If Alabama and Auburn move to the east or we go to a four-pod system, I think LSU is going to crush it. I think A&M will crush it. They're way ahead of Texas when it comes to recruiting, and they got a better product on the field as of right now. I, I think it's those teams that are going to do extremely well. You know, if you're stuck in a pod, you know, what does Tennessee do and Vanderbilt do if they're stuck in a pod with Auburn and Alabama? I mean, goodness gracious, what happens then? And if Auburn and Alabama go out east, then, you know, all of a sudden, you know, the Floridas and the Georgias are going to struggle a little bit. So I think when, I think the winners clearly are LSU and A&M. With the SEC officially expanding, you know, the college football playoff expansion still looms in the future. Everybody's kind of stopped talking about college football playoff expansion now that this SEC stuff uh, has, uh, has uh, hit the stands. But if the playoff expands, does this provide more parity or less parity in college football with a 16-team SEC? Well, that's a good question. What I don't want to see is any limiting on the amount of teams that can get into the playoff from the SEC. I mean, you know, all the time we're talking about can two play, can, can two SEC teams get into one four-team playoff, and why can't we see, you know, two or three getting in a 12-team playoff, right? It's not out of the question that two SEC teams go undefeated, play in the SEC championship game, and the other team, whether it be LSU or A&M or whoever, uh, have the one loss to one of the teams playing in the SEC championship game, and they're in the top five. And so you can absolutely see, you know, the SEC continuing to dominate at that. So I guess, I guess it, means, it probably means less parity, but it'll give some other teams, uh, you know, some Pac-12 teams an opportunity. Maybe, you know, the, you know a, a group of five team, uh, 
you know, a UCF or a Cincinnati or something like that can get in there. I don't think they'll necessarily win a national champion, national championship, but somewhere along the way, they're going to knock off a Power 5 team. Maybe they get all the way to the semifinals, but I don't know. It's really tough for one, a team like that to have this kind of depth to compete with the Alabamas and the Clemsons and the Ohio State. So with now SEC being a 16-team super conference and potentially Big Ten, ACC, Pac-12 kind of forming four super conferences, do you think that playoff expansion, that plan from June, will kind of move forward with that or there will be adjustments to, to that plan? No, I think it's going to move forward. I, I just don't want it to – and I said this at the time because they're obnoxious and, you know, a lot like Texas. The Rose Bowl is going to screw everything up at the time. Every, when it comes time, push comes to shove, the Rose Bowl is going to say, no, we're going to do what we want to do, and if we're not involved with you, too bad. So you guys got to work around us. I would tell the Rose Bowl, you go do you, we'll do it over here. And in about four years, the only people are going to be caring about your Rose Bowl are, are the you know second and third tier Big Ten teams and the second and third tier Pac-12 teams. You want to be out? You want to be out? You be out. We don't need you. Uh, the only thing I would want is to see you got to get those quarterfinal or I guess whatever round that the top four seeds would play in. Those got to be on campus. You, you're just not going to fill up football stadiums around the country three or four times like they kind of try to do for NCAA basketball tournaments. Sometimes those arenas don't fill up, and that's 20,000, and they have a lot more schools. So I would look, I would look for Alabama to, to host. Also, we also want to kind of see, you know, the teams from the south go play in Ann Arbor or go play in Columbus or go play in Oregon if that ever comes uh, to pass. Uh, that's what I want to see. I, I think it's going to still be a 12-team deal, but I think uh, that second-round game needs to be on campus uh, because otherwise it's just going to be too expensive for the fans to try and trying to figure that out. You talked about the the starting date for Oklahoma and Texas joining the SEC being 2025. Some people saying that, it, that it's going to happen next season. You think maybe it's going to be somewhere in the middle. But regardless, does Nick Saban retire before Oklahoma and Texas join the SEC? And if so, is there a coach in the SEC right now that could also make it to 2025 by the time that uh, Texas and Oklahoma join the league? Well, that's actually a good question. I do think he'll stay. Say, say they don't come till 2025. Saban's going to stay just to welcome them in. You guys want to come into the SEC? This is how we do it over here, all right? He'll definitely want to stay. If he needs any motivating factor besides national championships, come on, Texas. Come on, Oklahoma. So I think Nick Davis will stay. But it'll be very interesting to see who does stick around. And, uh, you know, we don't know anything, you know, by the time 2025, right? I mean, how long does South Carolina stick with Beamer? He just got there. You know, what kind of, you know, the hole that Heupel is digging is still going in the wrong direction. Uh, we all hope that Brian Harson does well, but we'll see. We presume he'll be around, but right, he's going to probably be in that second contract if he gets an extension. So it'll be very interesting. Mark Stoops will probably be around. I bet you Dan Mullen isn't around. I bet you Dan Mullen goes to the pros. I bet you Dan Mullen is short-timing in Florida. I think Kirby will still be around, but you know we'll see if Mike Leach is around. We think Mike Leach is going to last till 2025. I got it. And... We'll see if Lane sticks around. I think Lane very well could stick around. Ten years in, uh, Jimbo will be about eight years, you know, about, uh, by 2025, Jimbo will be eight years in. So he'll probably have one more contract. And so it'll be interesting to see, as of right now, when Texas and Oklahoma have announced they're coming to the SEC, how many of the current SEC coaches are actually still here. 
I wouldn't be shocked if it was less than half, but I reeled off a bunch of guys that could still very well be here. Well, looking from the other side, from the teams entering, who do you think lasts longer in the SEC, Steve Sarkeesian or Lincoln Riley? Oh, that's a good question. Because, you know, all the, what's going to happen is all these pro teams are going to come calling, right? True. And so it matters if you appreciate the recruiting aspect of it. Right? I was down to Miami when Nick Saban was with the Dolphins, and, you know, they decided to go with Dante Culpepper, and that didn't work out, and he decided he needed to get out of Dodge and realized when he's at Alabama, I get four or five first-round picks a year. Why am I going to the Dolphins only getting one? So the same thing, although Texas has, you know, that issue. Meanwhile, uh, Lincoln Riley has, you know, the number one quarter. He has a Heisman winner almost every other year, or at least contender. So he always has talent on his. It's a good question who he's going to be. I, I would have no idea about that. Because you think Steve Sarkeesian, he's getting another chance. is about, you know, his fifth chance uh, to, to do something. You think they would just settle in and settle down and be here for a, a decade or so. We'll see what happens with Lincoln Riley. He may get to the point where Oklahoma is just not good enough to win. That they, they, they're, they're good enough to compete where they are now, but they're just not quite good enough to, to get over the hump against the SEC. Maybe being in the SEC will help him up that talent level. Final question before we let you get out of here. Obviously, you're a South Alabama guy. Jake Bentley transferring into the program. What have y'all heard about him? Is he making progress in camp? Well, camp will start this week, so we hope that he does. Uh, it was an up-and-down uh, spring ball uh, for Jake. Here's the thing about South Alabama. They had 11 commits for the class of 2021. Kay Lomack has had 13 transfers, including two this past week. So he's got, you know, half his incoming team this year is a bunch of new guys that have, haven't even been here yet, right? It wasn't like January, you know, graduates coming in early. Uh, he's going to have to introduce a bunch of new players to a bunch of new teams. And uh, they start off, it's interesting, they start off with Southern Miss. Will Hall, offensive coordinator from Tulane, is coaching Southern Miss. It's his head coaching debut against Kane Lomack, his head coaching debut. Kane coaching against his alma mater in his head coaching debut. Uh, the stadium opened last year and really is a gorgeous group of five stadium, 24, 25,000. It can be expanded to more. Hopefully it's full. We got issues to deal with that, but hopefully it is full. Uh, it'll be very interesting. Uh, they got to find a running game and an offensive line. Uh, they have a lot of wide receivers. Uh, Jalen Tolbert, Jalen Wayne, they have some really good wide receivers that Bentley can get the ball to. Uh, if they can get some blocking and a little running game, South Alabama could surprise. Because CBS uh, Sports just came out with another list, and South Alabama was like 122nd out of 130th. Uh, I've seen them 124th. South Alabama may surprise some people. They have a really soft early schedule, and then it gets really hard the last four games of the year, like including hosting Coastal at the end of the year and Tennessee's in there as well. So they have a very – off schedule to begin with and it gets harder towards the end they got to get off to a good start dave we really appreciate your time today tell everybody where they can find all of your great content uh dave at wnsp you can always uh do us at uh, wnsp.com we're getting ready for a, a great game plan this afternoon 3 to 6 p.m thanks guys absolutely you have a great rest of your day man you too
That was Dave Schultz of WNSP and Mobile. On the other side of this break, we're going to talk MVPs for the month of September for Auburn. Which unit has to be the MVP in the first four games of the season? Wrapping up our number one of On the Line, Lance Daw, Jacob Hillman, Justin Ferguson here with you. Wanted to talk MVPs for September. You know, we're only like four weeks away from week zero of the college football season. Cannot wait for it to get started. But I wanted to talk about some of these units for Auburn and how they could potentially perform for the first four games of the season. Just kind of want to get y'all's thoughts on which units have to perform the best in order for Auburn to win the game. I'm going to start with that Akron game week one. Justin, which unit has to perform and be the MVP of that game? Uh, probably no one. They could just they could just show up. But no, I think I think what you're wanting best case scenario for this game, you're wanting Bo Nix and the quarterbacks, or however you know if you play T.J. Finley some as well, or Demetrius Davis even maybe getting a run there. You want to have you want to go out there and set the tone. You want to be able to come out and say we're different. This offense is different, and this is going to be a better fit for for our quarterbacks moving forward because we're going to need them. I think you need a good set the tone kind of performances for, from your quarterbacks if it happens in week two against Bama State you're fine with it but I think that's the one where you need to go because Akron's very bad They'll, you'll be fine you'll be fine without you know any of them really being superstars but like I, I think I think just for the program and what people what the fans need to react to they'll they, they, need, to, they need to see some good quarterback play jo- or, uh, Jacob yeah and I'm thinking that the same way it's gonna be trying to figure out what the system is like yeah and, and we've seen Mike Bobo before in the SEC but I think it might be a little bit different the second time around here well besides South Carolina last year but I'm thinking more of his Georgia time his tenure but it's going to be really interesting to see what kind of playing time all the quarterbacks get I yeah. think mm-hmm. because you almost want to have Bo Nix out of the game by the third quarter or into the third quarter and let TJ Finley run the show in the fourth quarter and maybe give Davis a drive I think that would be the ideal plan. And, you know, if it doesn't necessarily go to plan, you don't have as many points as you like to in the third quarter, big of a lead, then Alabama State's a good candidate for that to happen. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to say this. If Bo Nix is not focused and having fun out there, I'm a <laughs> throw one, man. I need to see him focused, having fun. He's got to look like a dark horse for the Heisman. There you go. Well, especially, especially after his engagement this weekend. So he, he better be better focused not, and having fun. Yeah, he uh, it, it, it better not be the Jarrett Stidham trajectory. <laughs> a question to you before we move on to the next game. The spread, according to Bet Online, is 34.5 right now. Do you think Auburn covers that? I think they can. Uh, Akron's horrible. Like Akron in the running for worst team in the FBS this year. Uh, they did blow out uh, Bowling Green last season, and Bowling Green might be the only team worse than them. Maybe maybe UMass when they get back together. I wrote a couple articles on Auburn Wire, and I right. said in my analysis after the Akron game for Alabama State, it was like, this may shock some people, but Alabama State might be better than Akron. Somehow. Like, like Akron, like Alabama State, like can't be that much worse. I'll put it that way. Yeah, like, it's no. it, even even though they are FCS and even though they're a swag school. Yeah, same thing for Alabama State quarterback play. Got to show out. Well, that and and I'll, and I'll add something else here with 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 that and and to piggyback off of that, I'd like to see. I think if you're all, if you're Auburn, game two, maybe if the quarterbacks take all the attention, game two. These young receivers, like mm-hmm. who steps up? Because you're going to need some guys to go up there and win, win you some balls in the air and stuff like that against Penn State. So, like, if we're seeing some separation from the wide receivers, if we're seeing guys step up, because you know you could say offensive line, but like they're gonna they're gonna you know. 
be better than Alabama State at the line of scrimmage anyway. Like that's just physically, it's just not even the same size wise, not even the same ballpark. So I think wide receivers are what, what I'd be curious in. Uh, if the quarterbacks step up as well, you know, what are we seeing from the wide receiver? We start to see some separation. We start seeing some clear cut. This might be the guy who is going to lead the way for the team this year. So I'll be very curious to see that that group. I'll say any of the playmakers. We know what yeah. we're going to get from Tank Bigsby, but if Sean Shivers can show, hey, we can have a two-headed monster in the backfield or any of the tight ends mm-hmm. along with those receivers, I, I think you just want to see Bo Nix's supporting cast really show out in that Alabama State game. And I think it would be key also for Auburn's offense in, in week one and week two to see either Jarquez Hunter or Jordan Ingram like, step up and say, all right, if anything happens to our top two running backs, we've got some quality depth. Week one, for me, I think it's got to be running backs. Akron was one of the worst uh, rush defenses in FBS last season. I think they're going to be even worse this year. For Alabama State, for me, it is this young receiving core. They had mm. the, I think it was the best pass defense in the SWAC last season. Yeah. I would really like to see Auburn step up against. So it's not good competition, but like they were good at their level. So I want to see Auburn actually go out there and perform. And, and, and a lot of times recently with these these FCS games that Auburn plays, these blowout games, like when they crush a team, it's been under Gus. It was like they ran the ball a ton and kind of kept it vanilla and, and did that. It would be it would be good to see them kind of blow out a team by putting putting the ball in the air a little bit more. Yeah, Auburn would run the ball in the first half, and then Gus would be asked what they need to do in the second half. It's like, we need to run the ball more effectively. Yeah, yeah like, exactly. Okay, cool, cool. Because like if you run the ball 50 times and, and get five, six, seven yards of carry – you'll win easily. So uh, it'd be interesting to see if these blowouts kind of take a little bit more of a passing element to them. On the road at Penn State. Yeah. Most important unit. So to me, is if you watch Penn State last season, they've got talent on offense. This is, a, this is a talented team. They've got talent on defense. But the thing is, is they they got so shook early in the year with turnovers. Guys would panic and, and make bad plays, you know, interceptions, fumbles, and stuff like that. That offensive line for for uh, Penn State's kind of shaky. A little some question marks about them heading into the season. I want to see if Auburn's pass rush yes. can get home and makes it like because here's the thing: when you're playing in Penn State, this first game away from home. Now, Bo Nix has played in some tough environments, but this is the first time with this new offense. They need that defense to help them out a lot, and you need the running game to help you out a lot as well. But I think if this pass rush can get home and neutralize some of you know the advantage that 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 uh that Penn State's going to have when Auburn's on offense I think that could be a big thing and yeah I mean we've seen it in the past from Penn State teams not even just the one last year but especially the one last year things get things can start snowballing for that offense if if, if they get rattled yeah so I completely agree with you on the pass rush I think Auburn is going to be able to stop the run but I want to see them force Sean Clifford into throwing situations a stat that I've thrown out a couple times on the show that I do think is really interesting Sean Clifford one in three as a starter when throwing for over 300 yards he's turnover prone whenever they force oh, yeah. him to air it oh, out yeah. if Auburn puts him in a position where they can't get the running game going even at home even in that environment put a little pass rush on him just I want to see Auburn get home in a tough road environment yeah they've got to step up for in my mind and, and like we we all kind of kind of feel like Derek hall is going to be really good for auburn this season um who's going to be that tag team partner for him you know is it an Leota? is it a dylan brooks td moultrie caleb john there's a lot of number of those guys you know you're going to get some production out of caleb wooden or uh, Col- sorry colby Wooden. i'm thinking about his brother uh colby wooden and, and some of those guys up front but like can this new look defense after two weeks to kind of tweak and learn some things can they dial up enough pass rush can Derek Mason give a good enough scheme to rattle a quarterback who is very rattleable even at home and, and quickly I'll say defensive backfield get an interception in that first quarter yeah. Yeah. that wideout crowd won't be as loud 
Justin, thank you so much for yeah. joining. Quickly tell everybody where they can find your great content. AuburnObserver.com. Sign up there. $6 a month, $60 a year. We'll get you all those articles and podcasts emailed to you as well. Follow me on Twitter at JFergusonAU. It's a lot of fun, boys. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. Hour number two of On the Line on the other side of this break. Stick with us. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7500. Hour number two of On the Line, Lance Daw, Jacob Hillman here with you in the studio. Really appreciate Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer swinging by to talk a little college football with us. We also really appreciate Dave Schultz, WNSP and Mobile, stopping to talk a little SEC expansion, finally get that out of the way. At 3.30, we'll have Luke Robinson of Locked On Bama to talk with us a little bit about some of the uh, the position groups for the Crimson Tide. You know, there's a lot of production that they've lost on both sides of the football. Going to get his thoughts on some new guys stepping up and how Alabama's going to try at least attempt to continue their dominance. Want to kick off this first, this second hour, though, Talking about some week two matchups in college football. If you want to give your thoughts on anything that we had to talk about in the first hour, call us 334-321-1390 or text us at 334-564-1840. And if you want to talk scheduling, potential matchups in college football, just things you're excited about during the second hour, make sure to text us and call us about that as well. Jacob, want to kick it off with some of the Friday matchups. I do just I just honestly I just want to run down some of the most important games in the schedule. Yeah, for sure. So, Kansas at Coastal Carolina week 2. <laughs> I know that some people out there may not care about this game, but dang, it's been pretty good over the past couple of years. Well, the interesting thing is, I mean, Kansas, last year they lost Coastal Carolina, and that was at Kansas. They lost 38-23. Well, this year they're traveling to Coastal Carolina. And if you look at Kansas' schedule, they start off with South Dakota, and then after Coastal Carolina, I don't see a win. I mean, I, I wouldn't say I see Coastal Carolina as a win either. So it's kind of one of those games where you want to go in and win, even though it might not be the easiest group of five opponent. You almost feel like you have to win this because your other non-con opponent is at Duke, and you're not winning that game, I don't think, if you're yeah. Kansas. Yeah. Moving on to Saturday, I, honestly, I feel like that's the most important game on Friday. You've got yeah. UTEP at Boise State, who cares? North, North Dakota, Utah State, who cares? North Carolina a- and A&T at Duke, who cares? Moving on to Saturday, an interesting non-conference matchup between two middle-of-the-pack teams and their respective conferences, Illinois at Virginia. That's a 10 a.m. kick <laughs> on ACC Network. Tickets low is $15, Jacob. All those spend 15 bucks and go to Scott Stadium in Charlottesville. See, you've had all the Pac-12 fans complaining about possibly kicking off at 9 o'clock and whatnot. I think they're doing a few of those games this year. I think Stanford is hosting a 9 a.m. kickoff. That's but th- this is weird to have a ACC game kickoff at 10 a.m. That's, of course, 11 a.m. Eastern time. But, you know, you're right. It's one of those games with middle of the pack in their conferences. 
they could make some kind of they could make some noise in their conferences, but they need to win this game to really show that they are ready to win some games this year. Pittsburgh at Tennessee, another really <laughs> interesting wait. non-conference game. Is Kenny Pickett still the quarterback for Pittsburgh? I uh, think he I, is. I don't even know. He's been there forever, <laughs> man. Was it in 2016, I want to say, whenever Pittsburgh beat Miami, mm-hmm. number two team? It might have been 17. It might have been 17, yeah, where I just remember him scoring on that bootleg. I'm like, who is this kid? What What is going on, Pittsburgh? It's absolutely crazy stuff that Pickett's been able to do over the course of his career against pretty good competition. Tennessee would argue that they're not so good competition, (laughs) at least this season. Pitt brings chaos, and that's why I'm looking forward to this game. But let's look at the importance of it. Tennessee, they're going to have to get off to a good start in this season to really show. It's similar to the Illinois and uh, the Illinois game against Virginia because I feel like if they don't get off to a hot start, they don't really have a chance to really, you know, make a name for themselves looking ahead to 2023 and beyond. If Tennessee is going to go bowling, they have to get this game. Yeah. They have to win it. They have to win it. I believe ESPN's FBI is FPI rather is just about split. Yeah, they have Tennessee fifty one point nine percent, Pittsburgh forty eight point one percent. That that's uh, ESPN's FPI's matchup predictor, just kind of predicting who who will win. But it's literally uh, to them a toss up game. Really excited to see that. That's an eleven a.m. kick though. Florida at South Florida. I'm not saying I'm not saying that these games are interesting because they are they are relevant to like the college football playoff or something like that. It's just strange non-conference matchups and strange interconference matchups that we normally don't see this early in the season. Week two is a ton of fun. It's a lot of fun. I don't know if you're going in. Are you going by chronological order? Yeah, I'm just just scrolling okay. down from 11 a.m. all the way to seven. O'clock. Well, we missed a big one. Oregon, Ohio State at right. 11 a.m. Big noon kickoff. And I don't know, it's kind of funny, and I'll go back to the Florida-South Florida game, but it's one of those games where you want to see Florida really dominant because you know they're predicted to finish second in the SEC East, and I think the question is, when are they going to compete with Georgia? If you have to go struggle against South Florida, because it is at South Florida, that's the wild part of it, mm, you're going to start to question things. Right. But I don't expect Florida to struggle there. I expect them to go in and win handedly. South Florida was pretty horrible last year. so And they don't bring back a lot of production from that team. Right. Yet. And we'll, we'll see how South Florida is in week one. But I think Florida handles that easily. But that Oregon-Ohio State game. It could be very interesting. I think it could be very interesting as well. I'm not again. I'm not penciling the Ducks as 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 the winner of that right. contest. I'm just saying I think it's a lot closer than some people out there may potentially think. You're breaking in a freshman quarterback. Could be Quinn Ewers now uh, for for Ohio State. But that defense, man, I I, I I they struggled last season. I think they're going to improve, but I think they will struggle again this year. Oregon with Anthony Brown. I think they've got a lot of pieces that excite me. Uh, Mario Cristobal, I think, is a very solid coach. He's mm-hmm. been recruiting a lot better than I think a lot of people realize. Yeah, he's been a- recruiting a lot better than than I think a lot of people realize. ESPN's FBI only Oof. gives Oregon a fifteen percent chance to win this game. Again, nah. I think it's a li- just a little closer than that. I think a seventy thirty is fair. I think that's fair. And I really don't think that Oregon's going to be all that great this year. But I think you're right that Ohio State, the struggling defense, their quarterback situation is wide open. We talked about that yesterday on the show. I don't know. I, I might, like you said, not going to pencil Oregon as the winner right now. But I could see myself Saturday morning waking up and saying, I've got a feeling and picking Oregon to, Oregon to win. But 
It's going to depend on the Ohio State quarterback situation. I feel like Johnny Johnson and Jalen Red have been at Oregon for the past 10 Johnny years. Johnny Johnson's still there? He is still there. Woo. He is a senior wide receiver. You look at the production that they had in just seven games, and they're, they they uh, offensively were not fantastic last year. Mm-hmm. They were not fantastic defensively. C.J. Verdell is still here. Something surprising, <laughs> and he's only a junior. Travis Dye is still here. This Oregon offense, so I feel this like is just the 2019 Auburn Oregon game. This is literally just yeah the 2019 Auburn Oregon in terms of roster makeup. Oregon's not changed one bit. Really quickly before we move on, I do want to point out. Uh, Florida only has an 89% chance to win that game at South Florida. Normally when you're playing a team like that, it would be somewhere like between 95 and like 98. I guess they're just accounting for the fact that it's early on the road. I mean, that doesn't make any sense though. It's right. It's USF hasn't had, you know, any raucous environment since 2007 when they were, well, I'll say a few years ago when they were playing UCF, they were a good team. They were playing pretty well, but I don't know. I don't see the, them being on the road affecting anything. It's the same same environment as in they they're playing florida it's not like they're going north to Rutgers or something so a couple of really interesting matchups at 230 that are back to back uab at georgia i think again i'm not saying that the, i'm not saying that uab is going to win this game i'm not even saying it's going to be like a 10 point uh win for georgia but i put a lot of stock into uh, into uab's head coach bill clark and his player development and how talented his guys are on paper they don't seem like they are but you watch them on the field you watch the product that they put out it's really really good for a CUSA school you look at a team like Georgia I'm not saying that they're going to struggle I'm just saying that UAB is a lot better than I think folks give them credit for simply because of their coaching staff could be a fun game for a quarter there's a reason Auburn fans some Auburn fans wanted Bill Clark to come to Auburn in December I, I wasn't one of them but I followed UAB's program pretty closely, and ever since they were revived, they've been on a tear, and like you said, I don't expect them to even really put up much of a fight in this game, but I still like seeing UAB go on the SEC national stage and, and really show out. I want to see I want to see this coaching staff compete against an SEC uh, team. I want to see I eventually do want to see Bill Clark in the SEC somewhere. I don't know what school it would be. I'd like to see uh, Mike Leach here in the next couple of seasons. You know, he's not a culture fit. I'm not saying I want him fired. I'm just saying like Bill Clark. Bill I think, Clark would fit at Mississippi State. I think he would fit at Mississippi State pretty pretty well. Another matchup at 2:30. Texas A&M on the road at Colorado. Kind of a matchup. Line. Yeah, exactly. Kind of a matchup of two two really good uh, really good powerhouses in terms of the fact that Texas A&M was the best in the SEC in stopping the run last season and Colorado was one of the best teams in the country in terms of running the ball mm-hmm. last season on the road early game going to be an going to be an interesting matchup with a new freshman quarterback I Sam. almost I almost like Colorado in this game and I think I might this might be another game that when I wake up I'm going to say Colorado's going to win this game right now I'd probably Pick Texas A and M. I picked the SEC team, and it, you know it's fun just because it's an old Big Twelve matchup. That, that's what's so cool about it. There we go. That's uh, I, I absolutely love this game. I'm going. I'm going to be watching all of this game. Going to be really excited about that. Let's take a look here. California at TCU is nothing. Nothing to write home about. It's just two middle of the pack teams that'll be throwing similar down. to Illinois, Virginia. Yeah. So throw. It's just an interesting non-conference matchup, and then the big one at three o'clock. 
Mercer at Alabama. They've struggled <laughs> in the past, guys. It's the hey, Citadel Part 2. Auburn has seen what Mercer can do to <laughs> you in week I, week two, week three, around that area. Look out. Alabama, if you're <laughs> listening, I just want you to know this team can force turnovers like it's nobody's business. It is insane. <laughs> 3.30, one of the best games of the day. Iowa at Iowa State. The Cyhawk, really interesting matchup there. Let's take a look at what ESPN's FBI says. Iowa State has a 74% chance to win this game. About right. I think that's about right. But still, it's a rivalry game. Anything can happen. It's very similar to the Iron Bowl. It's like you know, Alabama may walk in as the best team in the country, but they may they may only escape with a, with a three-point win or they may lose. Who knows? I, I always love this game, especially when it's played in Ames. Ames, it is such a fun environment. I would love to see you know, a huge, massive matchup there. Of course, we might see in the future an Ohio State ranked number two traveling into Iowa State when they're in the Big Ten, and who knows? And we all remember the Oklahoma State game that busted the BCS back in 2011. So, I don't know. I just I always love watching Iowa State-Iowa games, and I think it could be one of those games where if Iowa State doesn't escape, then you're looking at the Big 12 be in Oklahoma all over again, no matter what. Speaking of the Big 12, an interesting matchup with Texas on the road at Arkansas, 6 o'clock on ESPN. Texas breaking in a new quarterback, new offensive system, new head coach. Arkansas, eight starters on offense, nine starters on defense, uh, retained both their coordinators, retained their head coach. Kendall Bryles and Barry Odom are, are nothing to sniff at. Like that, Those are two solid SEC coordinators right there. Could we see Texas struggle in this game? Is it bad that I'm more confident in Louisiana going to Texas and winning than I am of Arkansas beating them at home? Ah, I really am. That's tough. But, yes, I see Texas struggling for sure on the road. I'm not going to pick them to lose, but, I mean, I really do think that Louisiana's going to beat Texas, and then they're going to absolutely have to bounce back against Arkansas. You look at ESPN's FPI for Texas versus Arkansas – Arkansas only has a 29.4% chance to win this game. You look at the Louisiana game, the Raging Cajuns have a 10.9% chance <laughs> to win that game. And again, if it's just some random group of five yeah. team, it's somewhere between 95 and 98% most of the time. Again, it's, it's Louisiana's nothing, nothing to sniff at. They are a solid, solid college football team. At 6 o'clock as well. And this could tell the story of Mississippi State's really entire could. season. NC State on the road, taking on the Bulldogs. Mississippi State actually has a 66% chance to win this game, according to ESPN's FPI. I'm surprised that, the, that, that Mississippi State's even favored in this game. Because you look at the production that NC State brings back. They've got two quarterbacks that they could choose from that were pretty good in the ACC last year. I believe, what was it? NC State went like eight and three last season, eight yeah. and four. Is a eight and three, and then a bowl loss to Kentucky by two. It's a solid team going up against a team that that didn't know how to play offense last season. What are your thoughts on this game? Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. I don't understand how Mississippi State is that favored according to FPI, and I I really think that NC State has a good chance to win this game. And like you said, they're returning a lot of production from a good football team last year. I don't know. Of course, we all remember ESPN's FPI just a few months ago. Mississippi State. Really, really right. high on Mississippi State. Apparently, this is one of those swing games that they mm-hmm. think uh, the Bulldogs can take. Uh, I don't know if I'm there with them, but okay. All right, cool. <laughs> Sweet. Uh, moving on down the list here, Appalachian State 
at Miami. I don't think that that is going to be as com- a- a- an incredibly competitive game, but we've seen Appalachian State take teams down to the wire in the past, obviously talking 2007 Michigan. And then in 2016, I believe it was the first game of the season, Tennessee, that that year yep. that they went on, went on a run. Uh, that first game of the season was like a 20-13 to 13 overtime win over Appalachian State. So we've seen them uh, trip up some teams in the past. Could be another interesting game to watch. An absolute barn burner, in my opinion. I think this was a really, really good game last season. I might be wrong. It's been a really good game in the past, though. Memphis and Arkansas State, a couple of really, really really good, really, really good offensive teams there. Very potent. Really excited to see that matchup. Of course, it's on ESPN+. Might not be able to get to see it, but (laughs) still... Whenever, whenever uh, Sunbelt teams play like late Thursday, Friday nights, watch it. Yeah, it is real offensively. It is a show. It is absolutely fantastic. You get to see uh, Memphis from the AAC and then uh, Arkansas State from the Sunbelt. Again, that's on six. That's six o'clock on ESPN Plus. Quickly, let's wrap up some of these other games here. Missouri at Kentucky could tell the story of Kentucky Kentucky season if they're able to beat what could be a borderline top 25 team in Missouri. They've got to find a quarterback, though, and that's been the question this entire offseason is who is it going to be? We don't have that answer yet. Could be interesting to see what happens down there in Lexington at 630. Georgia State at North Carolina. I've typed up this Georgia State team. Again, I don't think this is going to be a competitive game for more than a quarter, but I really like Cornelius Brown the fourth, Georgia State's quarterback. They've got a lot of things going for them. Record-breaking offense last season for the Panthers. Washington at Michigan at 7. Vanderbilt at Colorado State at 9. Looking down the rest of the list. Holy, the Holy War. War is at 9.15. <laughs> got some really good late evening yeah, matchups. Say, this is one of the best late-night caps. I mean, you've got five games, or I should, wow. You have six games starting at 9 o'clock or later, including Vanderbilt. And then you've got San Diego State, Arizona, the Holy War between Utah and BYU, a Pac-12 matchup with Stanford-USC, UNLV, Arizona State, and then Hawaii at Oregon State at 10 o'clock. Look out, Beavers. We, uh, I, I told you off-air earlier, like week zero, I believe the line for Hawaii-UCLA is 10.5. I might take Hawaii to cover. Honestly. Even though even though I really like the way that UCLA matches up with, with LSU, I might take Hawaii to cover that game because mm-hmm. who knows what's going to happen in week zero. Anything could happen, man. The reason I wanted to go through this 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 uh, second week, and I know that we're it's like, well, y'all are still like a, a, a month and a week or so out from actually like getting to week two. We 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 we've already done week one, and I just want to point wanted to to make the point that there are a lot of really good non-conference matchups yep. week two. We've not really seen that in the past. We've seen most of them go week one. We've seen the marquee matchups in week one. We've seen the powerhouses. And we don't necessarily see the powerhouses on this schedule outside of, of course, Ohio State, Oregon, and then maybe a couple other games here and there. But, man, compet- like competition-wise, everybody's kind of on the same playing field. Wait until the preseason polls come out, and you'll see how many. I think there's going to be a few ranked matchups, but then you're also going to see, you know, some ranked teams play against teams that are receiving votes and whatnot. So I don't expect there to be the, you know, 10 versus 8 matchup or the 4 versus 2. It, it's going to be, you know, Oregon and Ohio State probably be top 5 versus 15 or so. That That's a fun matchup. Washington and Michigan. Michigan will probably be ranked in the low 20s, and then Washington won't be ranked. But 
it's still a fun matchup to watch, and I think it could really shift the landscape of the college football season. Really quick before we we, we get to break, San Diego State at Arizona could also be another interesting game. Yes. Arizona, Arizona sliding right now. On the other side of this break, we're going to continue breaking down college football scheduling. We're going to talk the biggest SEC game each week of the season. Stick with us. Back on the line, Lance Daw, Jacob Hillman here with you. Just kind of going over the scheduling to come during this college football season. I'm just excited, man. I think that's kind of the direction I just wanted to take this second hour is just to talk about the things to come. Let's look at positivity. We've been talking, you know, we're talking about wrapping up the conference realignment and the playoff expansion. Let's wrap it up with happiness that college football is here Gosh, soon. I'm so tired about talk, talking about <laughs> expansion and all that different stuff. I'm just I just want to start talking about the things that are happening right now. It's like, oh yeah, by the way, we're two days away from fall camp. Well, you know what's going to happen is there's going to be some bombshell dropped in two weeks. Yeah, and that's going to absolutely take your focus off anything actual football is like big Ten's gonna say yeah we're doing something and paul and, tyson is actually gonna start for alabama week one well that would actually be a fun thing to talk about whereas you know the realignment's gotten old i want to go over every single week of the college football season i want to talk about the most important sec matchup that week because obviously there are going to be some awesome games throughout the the SEC scheduling so I just wanted to to kind of breeze through some of them week one um, I think I don't I think you and I could probably agree on what's yeah, the most pretty obvious <laughs> I think it's uh, Georgia and Clemson throwing down week one uh, 630 on ABC I think a very close second obviously as Alabama and Miami third it's um, LSU UCLA easily yeah and I think those are the only three games that are kind of must watch in week one, everyone else is playing a, uh, a group of five school. I mean, I, I could see, you know, a, a, a Louisiana take, taking down a Mississippi State, but those three games are really the ones to watch, especially that Georgia Clemson game. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a preview to the college football playoff. I wouldn't necessarily say it's an elimination game because both the teams can find a way back. Right. Possibly Georgia on the uh, on one hand, I think their path would be a little bit more difficult because then they couldn't afford to get another loss. I think Clemson if they do lose, they can win out easier than than Georgia can. But again, really really tough tough matchup for both these teams they both do a lot of things really really well I'm going to be interested to see how often Georgia goes to the air in this game how often they try and actually stretch the field kind of kind of put some pressure on this Clemson defense could see could I'm, I right now my gut says Georgia by like three I think it's a very very yeah. close I think Georgia wins a close game Dylan on the other hand said that he feels like it's it's Clemson by like three or seven and I and I understand I just don't think Ugalele is gonna come out shining like like a Trevor Lawrence did I think it I think it's gonna take a few weeks and like you said Clemson can afford the loss their schedule does not shape out like Georgia's does so they can afford that loss to Georgia and then make up for it through the rest of the season by just winning out and you know getting some style points they're also probably still gonna be within striking range after they lose to Georgia, if they are to lose, they'll probably still be in the top 10. Yeah. So, yeah. Week two, I think there are a couple of matchups to look at as far as like just the biggest one of the week. 
I think it is Texas at Arkansas. You look at some of the other games. Again, we just talked about it. We just ran down Pittsburgh at Tennessee, Florida at South Florida, UAB at Georgia, Texas A&M and Colorado. But I think there's going to be a lot of national attention on this Texas team compared to what Texas Texas A&M and Colorado are doing just a couple hours before. So. I think that's the most important game. <laughs> I feel I feel really bad for Arkansas because you're like, yeah, I kind of like Louisiana to, to take on Texas better than I do the Razorbacks. But I still think with all that production at home, you, you talk about road environment, how excited fans are going to be to just that's finally be back. You know, I think I think it is going to be an interesting game for sure. I wouldn't. I would go as far as to say I could see this thing going f- four quarters. I, I, yeah. I, I think. I think it's going to be undecided un- until like the very last few minutes. I mean, it also feels like a game that could also go four overtimes, <laughs> in which we could see the two point conversion shootout. Let's but, go. But I, I think yeah, that's definitely the game to watch, and and a, and not really a close second, but a clear second is Pittsburgh, Tennessee. How is Tennessee season going to go? They need to show out against Pitt. Got to get, got to get to a ball game. That's that's a game that you definitely have to look at. Week three, I think you and I can both agree on this one. Which I think some would disagree, though. You and I, as Auburn fans, correct. Would agree. <laughs> Other people across the Southeastern Conference may say that Florida at home against Alabama is the biggest game of the week. I would make the argument that it's Auburn at Penn State simply because, in my mind, it's been hyped up for literally a couple of years now. I agree. Auburn-Penn State, I think, is the most important, and it's because it's also the first major game for Brian Harson, And we're going to see what Bo Nix is really like on the road now. We're going to see what this new Brian Harson program is like. And if they go in and beat Penn State, look out for Auburn in 2021 and beyond. And when it comes to Alabama-Florida, yeah, that matters a lot to the conference standings, but I think we know how that game's going to go. Make all the Twitter jokes you want about Bo Nix being focused and having fun and being a dark horse for the Heisman and all that, but Tank Bigsby has to be able to show out in this game. For sure. Because I think Bo Nix is going to have his struggles. In that road environment, we've seen him in the past fold. We've seen him turn the ball over. We've not seen him make the uh, mental decision. We've seen him make mistakes. He's going to have to rely on Tank Bigsby. And I think that's kind of gotten lost in the shuffle here as everybody's talking about Bo Nix on the road, Bo Nix on the road, Bo Nix on the road. Look, if he is if he is going to be what he has been for two years now, he's going to have to rely on Tank Bigsby in order to keep this offense going. Really, really important that Bigsby stays healthy throughout that game and is able to not necessarily carry Auburn, but Bo Nix has to have somebody that he can rely on because this young receiving core is going to be working out the kinks for the first month of the season, I think. For sure. Moving on to week four. Actually, I do kind of want to just touch on the the Alabama-Florida yeah. game. I think that that matchup is not going to be close. <laughs> yeah, I agree. But I think it's going to be hyped up as like, oh my goodness, it's like a top 15 matchup against Florida and Bama. It's going to be very similar to what we've seen in the past. You know, like every single year we come into the Alabama-Texas A&M game. Yeah. Like, oh my and goodness. And it might happen again this year too. It's like, dude, who knows? Like Texas A&M could be, uh, could be uh, keeping it close with Bama ever since 2012. Everybody's just craving that Texas A&M win over the Crimson Tide. And it's, it's not happening. This It's going to be very similar to this Florida game. I think Florida's going to lose but like 21 it's, probably it's gonna it's gonna get ugly and I think part of it getting hyped up is that you only see Alabama travel to Florida every seven years and Florida do the same every seven years so you know I, I see why it's hyped up and I really like Florida this season I really think they can make a push for that SEC East crown but this early in the season unless Bryce Young is struggling which I don't expect him to struggle that much then I see Alabama blowing him out of the water 
On the other side of this break, we've got Luke Robinson of the Locked On Bama podcast. We're going to talk to him maybe a little bit about the Bama scheduling, going to talk to him about some new guys stepping up on the offense and the defensive side of the ball. Stick with us. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on the line, Lance Daw, Jacob Hillman here with you. We have a very special guest joining us at 3.30 here on this beautiful Tuesday afternoon. Luke Robinson of the Locked On Alabama podcast. Luke, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. So just we've been trying to kind of tie a bow on SEC expansion because we all know everybody's just kind of tired of talking about it. I personally am tired of talking about it. Just want to ask a couple of questions here at the top to just kind of wrap wrap a bow on that. Does Alabama benefit from this SEC expansion, bringing in more competition at the top with Texas and Oklahoma? I think anybody that has an advantage gains an advantage with this. Um, And I know that sounds a little dumb, but let me say this, that if you're Alabama, if you're LSU, if you're Georgia, um, I I think that you gain even more of an advantage because you're selling another marquee game and your programs are already in the discussion for being at the top all the time. If you're, let's say, Kentucky – or Mississippi State, and you're trying to sell the fact that, hey, we, you can help us get back to the top. Well, I think if you're a recruit now, you go, wait a minute, you guys were having a hard time getting to the top uh, when it didn't have Texas and Oklahoma. Now that we have Texas and Oklahoma, how in the world are you guys going to get there? I mean, this, it's, it just makes it so much harder for the teams on the lower half of the conference, in my opinion. When you look at the rest of the SEC, is there a specific team, a, one specific team out, just outside of financials that does benefit from this expansion outside of maybe Georgia and Bama? Um, I guess maybe Florida, because uh, now Florida can probably reach into Texas a little bit, right. um, whereas before uh, it seemed like that, that wouldn't be a great spot for them because it, it was sort of the furthest location for anybody from texas to go um alabama had already hit texas a lot uh georgia has been in texas and gotten some good players so i think they already have a nice presence there um but i think that florida probably gets the benefit and i'll tell you auburn may benefit from it uh to an extent too i mean they've already reached into texas this year and i know they got uh jay fair um they're looking at some other texas guys so they may benefit from it as well. And looking at the scheduling conflicts that are going to arise, where do you want to see Alabama kind of end up? Do you want to see them in a pod? Do you want to see them move to the east with Auburn? What exactly do you want Alabama to end up uh, when the scheduling is resolved? I definitely want it to be a pod, um, even though, you know, even if it's not really called a pod, I think it, I think it will be called one because you're going to have these games that you can't give up. I mean, Alabama and Auburn can't go away. Um, Georgia, Florida, that can't go away. Uh, LSU and probably Texas A&M, even though Texas would love to tell you it's it's A&M in Texas, I think it'll be more like Texas-Oklahoma will be the rivalry that'll be kept. 
So if we're going to do it that way, then I think the pods that I've seen out there that make the most sense are the ones that have Alabama, Auburn, Tennessee, and Vandy all together. The ones that has Georgia, South Carolina, Kentucky, and Florida all together. The one that has Oklahoma, Texas, Missouri, Arkansas, and then LSU, A&M, and the two Mississippi schools. That one makes the most sense to me. And the reason I love this is because it allows you to play everybody in a four-year period. So here's my one gripe about what's happened with this last expansion. Um, A&M and Kentucky have only played once, one time, and that was in College Station. So A&M's been in the league 10 years, and nobody's gone to Lexington. And, you know, not that it's the best trip in college football, but I've made the trip to Lexington three or four times to watch Alabama play, and it's a ton of fun. It's, a, it's an underrated stadium. Um, it, it's, just, it's just cool to be there. And you, all, you can also go visit Rupp and do some other things. And I've gotten to the age where I almost enjoy the road games more than I enjoy the home games. I mean, the home games are fun, but it's always great to go see how the other half lives. And I love going to Mississippi State. I love going to Florida. I love going to Auburn or Georgia, wherever. And so I think everybody should have the opportunity to do that. That's part of the charm of the Southeastern Conference. And probably the only drawback to adding these two teams that are so far away from the rest of us. Um, the SEC used to be so condensed that, I mean, you everywhere was like a, a day trip. But now, I mean, if you're going to play a road game against Oklahoma, especially if you're Florida or South Carolina, I mean, it, it's, you know, that's a three- or four-day affair for sure. Something that's kind of gotten lost in the shuffle is the fact that the college football playoff still at least intends on expanding. I'll ask this question, and I say it half-joking, but I'm also kind of serious. If the playoff does expand, regardless of it, if, it, if it expands or not, doesn't the, the national title co- come from an SEC team for the foreseeable future? Because whoever survives the gauntlet with Texas and Oklahoma being added to the mix will be prepared for literally anything the rest of the, co- uh, rest of the country could throw at them. Yeah, I, I do agree with that. I would say that since the playoffs and, and the regular season don't happen in vacuums, that what it could also mean is you're going to be beat up pretty doggone good. Right. There's going to be very few uh, – there's going to be very little rest for the weary. And luckily that's another reason I'm a big proponent of Alabama, Auburn, Tennessee, Vandy, because at least Alabama and, and Auburn will get at, you know one restful weekend with Vandy <laughs> and maybe two if Tennessee doesn't pick it up. So – I would love to see that, um, but you're right. Getting getting to the playoffs and and uh, fully healthy is a very difficult thing to do. And no matter how talented your team is, just look at Alabama back in 2019. That was a, a great team. And even though they'd lost to LSU at home, uh, had Tua not gotten hurt, I, I would think Alabama was in a still a pretty good position to make the playoffs. I don't know if they could have won it. That team ultimately lost to Auburn on the road, as you know. And uh, they, they also had some injuries at linebacker, which cost them. But it's just so difficult to get through an entire year with all the pieces you need. I mean, even Alabama that won it last year, they lost Jalen Waddell uh, for the majority of the season. And, um, you know, luckily they only played 13 games because if they had had to play 15, that could have been an issue. But uh, it wasn't an issue because there were only 13 games. So I think if you're – and here's the other thing. In the expanded playoffs, there's gonna be, that means more games. So if you're going to be playing 16 games, man, yeah, the injury factor could really come into play. 
you talk about losing receivers and you talk about losing Jalen Waddle last season. You, you, you head into 2021, this Alabama offense does. Not a lot of receiver production outside of John Mechie the third. Who else outside of him could potentially step up, up in this group? Just kind of educate Auburn fans as to who they could potentially see. Uh, A.G. Hall, number 17, um, he had a great A day. -day. He's a a long, lanky guy. He's got enough speed. He's not a burner, but he can really contort his body very well to make great catches. He did that a lot in the A day game. I think this is a guy that's going to burst onto the scene as a true freshman. Uh, Teo Jones-Bell is another guy that I I expect big things from. Treshawn Holden, uh, another receiver that uh, could make some big plays. And then Ja'Cory Brooks is a kid I expect to see on the field as a true freshman a lot. You know, but you're right, John, it's John Mechie and then a bunch of guys we don't know anything about outside of what recruiting services have told us about them. And that's scary to some extent, but over the last three or four years, Alabama's put out as many wide receivers into the NFL as anybody. So I feel like they are certainly accustomed to developing these guys. I don't know that anybody on this squad is as talented as any of the five guys that have recently gone to the NFL, meaning Ruggs, Waddle, Judy, uh, Devontae Smith, and uh, who have I missing? Waddle. Um, so I think that none of these guys that I've mentioned may not be in those guys' class, but they're close. Um, I think Hall probably has the most uh, superstar potential. John Mechie is really, really solid. In fact, a lot of people thought outside of Devontae Smith, he had the best hands on the team, even including Waddle. So he just doesn't have necessarily that, that speed that Waddle had or the, the technical expertise that Devontae Smith had or the speed of Ruggs or the moves, moves of Judy. He's just um, he's a really, really solid wide receiver. And I think he's all SEC caliber. I don't know if he's all American per se, but I think he's going to be very good. And then one of these freshmen – is going to end up being the guy that's going to provide you with all the highlights. And looking at the guy who's going to be throwing him the ball or throwing them the ball, Bryce Young, Nick Saban has found three consecutive NFL quarterbacks. Maybe not looking that far in the future, but for 2021, what is Bryce Young's ceiling? I love Bryce Young. Uh, I really do. I thought he was going to be the starter last year. I was shocked as anybody else by Mac Jones. Uh, Bryce Young is a little bit undersized. He does have the best eyebrows in college football. That's <laughs> undeniable. All you got to do is take one look at him, and that, that's clear as day. I, um, I agree. He, he's also very charismatic. His teammates seem to like him. Um, he's a little bit uh, – he, he's, he's, he's just not overpowering with his personality, and I think that's a positive. Um, I think he's going to be really good for Alabama. Do I think he's going to be – uh, you know, have a Mac Jones year? Probably not. Look, he did throw for 330-something yards in the A-Day game, which was nice. But he also had a lot of passes batted down because he is a little undersized. Now, he, by the same token, he hadn't able to use his speed as much at A-Day because, you know, they blew the play dead so quickly. So it's going to be interesting to see how Miami plans to attack him because if you go back to his high school days in California, he could use his feet really, really well. And he's so good at it that he's also able to keep his head up and make the toss downfield right at the last second, kind of like the style of Nick Marshall. Um, Now, Bryce Young is not near as fast as as Nick Marshall, nor does he have the kind of moves Nick Marshall had as a runner. But I definitely think Bryce Young is a much more precise passer. So he's a pass-first guy for sure. 
And the tight ends may be his best target. Uh, Cameron Latu had a great 8A game. Jaleel Billingsley is pre- uh, projected to be a first-round pick in the NFL draft next year. So I, I feel like those are going to be his main two targets. Um, Mechie will be his probably his first target on the outside, but those two tight ends are going to be great for Alabama this year. You mentioned the Miami game, and I want to ask you this question. Which September matchup is more difficult for the Crimson Tide, Miami or on the road at Florida? I think it's Miami. And I think it's Miami as long as Derek King is 80%. Derek King, we don't know yet exactly what his health status will be. Um, and here's the other thing. It's also the first game, and it's Bryce Young's first game as a starter. Uh, he's not even starting at home. It's in the Georgia Dome. There's going to be, you know, all this talk about the last time Miami and Alabama played, which was uh, January 1, 93. I was there in the Sugar Bowl. It was a ton of fun. And so there's going to be a lot of pressure on Bryce Young for that first game. And Bryce Young, again, he's, he's dealt with a lot of pressure in his life. Uh, but Miami is also extremely talented. I don't think they're super well coached. I'm, I'm not sold on that staff at all. But I think they got plenty of talent. Now, you look at Florida. Uh, Again, they have talent, too. I would argue that Miami, Miami's roster is better top to bottom. And Florida is breaking in a new quarterback. No Kyle Trask, no Kyle Pitts, um, no Kadarius Toney, who I absolutely loved. And, and I wish Alabama or Auburn would have signed him because I thought he was fantastic in high school in Alabama. Um, so they miss all those guys. And I, I think that by the time Alabama gets there, which is game three, I believe, in Gainesville, uh, it's a 3:30 game, not a night game, which is going to help a little bit. I think that Bryce Young will have settled into his role a little more. Uh, we'll have a better idea about the receivers, better idea about the running backs, because everybody just believes, you know, is plug and play with Brian Robinson. Brian Robinson is not as good as Najee Harris. And, I, I mean, I know I'm not making this huge declarative statement here, but what I mean is that I think a Jace McClellan or Roydell Williams or Trey Sanders could actually end up being the number one running back, even if it's not the starter. So by that time, we will have a better idea of running back. And um, meanwhile, I think Alabama's defense is going to be disgustingly good. And so when you go to the swamp and they're breaking in Emory Jones, who we're not sure has developed any momentum with his forward pass yet, I feel like that's a great day for Will Anderson and company to take over. Well, my next question was going to be about the defense, and it'll be the last question before we let you go. Pete Golding coming back, eight returning starters. I mean, is that really the big factor for this defense to to go back to those early 2000s defense that were so, so good? Oh, I, I definitely think so. Look, and I, I love uh, Jordan Battle. I think he's great. I think um, Josh Job, an, another great play in the secondary. The superstars to me are going to be Will Anderson, like I mentioned. I, I predict him to be the SEC player of the year. Um, he had the most hurries in the country as a true freshman last year. I think he's going to get that timing down a lot better. And after another year in the weight room, in a collegiate weight room, especially Alabama's, I think he's going to be ready to uh, wreak havoc in, in opposing backfields. Then you add in Henry Toa Toa, and that guy, I loved him. That's the one guy, if you could have said, take somebody off you know, any of the bottom six SEC teams that you can put on your squad. I would have clearly picked Henry Toa Toa. I, I think he's an All-American type. Uh, he's probably going to be in a one-and-done at Alabama. Uh, but then don't forget about Kool-Aid McKinstry. I mean, this is a guy, to me, it, a bit faster, Drake Kirkpatrick, great ball skills, um, just has an it factor about him, loves the limelight as a defensive back. 
I, I think he's a super playmaker, and I, I think he gets on the field early. I, I just love this defense. A guy like Tim Smith could have a breakout year. LeBron Ray back from an injury. There's a lot to love on this Alabama defense, and unlike the last couple of years, the defense is going to have to tote the water while the offense catches up. Luke, we really appreciate your time today. Tell everybody where they can find all your great content. Yeah, go check us out at Locked On Bama. Anywhere you get your podcast, look, we have Zach Blackerby on occasionally from Locked On Auburn. Uh, he's a great guest. We've, you know, we've gotten to know each other, and it's been a lot of fun. We try to uh, bring in a few guests from time to time, but for the most part, uh, what we've done over the summer months is it's the silly season. So we've done a lot of countdown work, roster countdown stuff. But now here we are. You know, it's about time for camp to start. We're ready to rock. So y'all come check us out, Locked On Bama. Absolutely. Luke, hope you have a great rest of your day, my man. All right, guys. Thanks for having me. That was Luke Robinson of Locked On Bama. On the other side of this break, we're going to continue our SEC schedule analysis, going to continue talking about the biggest SEC games every single week. Stick with us. Back on the line, Lance Dog, Jacob Hillman here with you, wrapping up the Tuesday edition of On the Line. Ladies and gentlemen, it is happening. <laughs> All right, Bo Nix is out there. He is focused. He is having fun. And he has got himself a new deal. Jacob? And a brand new Bo's Chicken Sandwich. Yes, sir. It's Bo time. It's Bo time, baby. This is probably the one deal that everyone expected and wanted, obviously, for the name. But he posted it 44 minutes ago. We've been holding on to it. Yeah, we, we've been waiting. We're, we wanted to end the show off with a bang, and it's the fact that it's bow time. You but know what I'm doing after the show ends? Are you going to get Bojangles? I am I'm making a graphic here in the studio, okay. and then I'm going to get Bojangles. <laughs> you think I'm kidding. You think I'm kidding. I'm really hungry right now. I don't, do I buy it? I don't know. I, I'll need to see proof. Do I? See, that's the thing. I've not had Bojangles in like two years. Bojangles is great. It's, I love Bojangles. And every single time I've had it, it's been really good. I don't know why I've been back, but I will be back today. Well, I think the interesting thing about this is that Malachi Moore also yesterday announced his deal oh, with Bojangles. Oh, no, so Alabama fans can't get mad at this. Correct, and I'm pretty sure Malachi Moore was the one that got the Milo sponsorship earlier this yeah. season. Yeah, so every Earth. single time an Auburn player gets a sponsorship, right. Malachi Moore is getting the same one. Well, see, this time it's kind of funny because Bo got the Milo's one first, then Malachi Moore, and then this time Malachi Moore posted his before Bo did. Nice. Interesting. I just want you all out there to understand something, all right? <laughs> it's Bo time, baby. I don't care how many picks he throws this season. I won't go that far. <laughs> as long as I get my discount on my Bojangles biscuits. Well, I think, see, it's interesting because now I think everything's starting to flush out about how this NIL stuff is going to work, at least on the base. Because I feel like when we went into this, we were like, no clue. But now it makes more sense. I think we're going to see guys appearing in commercials. Yeah, uh, yeah, and if, if you guys out there that are better getting takeout, use code FOCUS for 20% <laughs> off your first order. <laughs> Oh man, that's gonna be absolutely fantastic. I'm I'm not kidding. Like this is not a bit. I actually do want to go get Bojangles after this. So I think I'm gonna make that happen. I want to continue on here our SEC schedule analysis. Just kind of wrapping up the show here for the past for the last minute or so. Let's go ahead and get on to the next week of the season. We were we we were uh, three weeks in, I believe. I believe we did. We yeah, we talked about Florida, Alabama last. Yeah, we were th- we are four weeks into the season. 
And if my computer would load, I could tell y'all what <laughs> what's going on in week four. Jake, well, yeah, I've got there to week four, and this is a lot of SEC matchups. You've got Tennessee, Florida, LSU, Mississippi State, Texas A&M, Arkansas, and then other games are cupcake games. Kentucky, South Carolina, Georgia, Vanderbilt. What do you like from those? I, I think it's got to be Tennessee, Florida. Yeah, I think it's got to be Tennessee, Florida for, Florida for sure. Because, if again, if Florida doesn't figure out that quarterback's position, if Emory Jones is not the guy, like Luke Robinson said, has not yeah. uh, developed <laughs> his forward pass yet. I love the way he said that. Um, we could see a, a hungry Tennessee team that is desperate to get to a bowl game show up. It's something. Okay, we talked about this at SEC Media Days really quick. They seem really, really close for a team that lost 24 guys to the transfer mm-hmm. portal. Well, I think this game, if Tennessee goes in and wins it, you're not looking at just 6-6. Six and six. You might be looking at an 8-4 and four ball club. Yeah, we're looking at uh, the Tennessee-focused and having fun. Maybe they right. need a little Bojangles as well. Josh Heupel. The, the, <laughs> he, he's going <laughs> to... I love Josh Heupel at SEC Media Days. I thought he was really good. I thought he was really good. I thought Eli Drinkwitz was fantastic. He was the best. As well. That's going to do it for the Tuesday edition of On the Line. Noah Gardner will be back in studio with us tomorrow. We'll see you all then.